0: Arthur W. Pink, Spiritual Growth. We're on number 17 or 18. I can't remember the number. And uh, we're on the chapter, It's Recovery. Spiritual Growth, It's Recovery. And we're continuing from last time. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jerob. Yet he could not heal, nor, nor could he cure his wound. Hosea 5.13. The historical references to Israel and Judah when in great danger from the pressure of enemies. Instead of humbling themselves before God and seeking his help, they betook themselves unto a neighboring nation and looked to it for protection, yet to no avail. But it has a special application to those who are conscious of their spiritual decline, but who turn to the wrong quarter for deliverance. Backsliders are often aware of their wretched plight, but perceive not that sin is the cause of it, and God alone can heal their backsliding, Hosea 14.4. When his chastising rod falls upon them, so far from recognizing that it is his mighty hand correcting them, that it is his righteous hand dealing with them, they imagine it is only circumstances which are against them, and turn to the creature to extricate them, but to no good effect. Since there has been a departure from God, there must be a return to him, and in that way he has appointed, or there can be no recovery from the evil consequences of that departure we now turn to the possibility of recovery. It may appear strange to some of our readers that we should deem it necessary to mention such a thing still more so that we would, should discuss it in some detail. If so, surely they forgot that since Satan succeeds in persuading many a convicted sinner that his case is hopeless, that he has carried his rebellion against God to such lengths as to be beyond the reach of mercy driving into a state of abject despair, it should not be thought strange that he will employ the same tactics with a backslidden saint, <clears throat> assuring him that he has sinned against such favors, privileges, and light that now his case is hopeless. Those who have read the history of John Bunyan and his case is far from unique and learned of his lying so long in the slow of despair, despond, when the devil made him believe he had committed the unpardonable sin, should not be surprised to learn that he is still playing the same trade in persuading one and another that he has so far departed from the Lord that his recovery is impossible. But we do not have to go outside the scriptures to find saints. Not only in a state of despondency and dejection before God, but in actual despair of again enjoying his favor. Take the case of Job. True, there were times when he could say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And many times he could say, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. But his assurance was not always thus. There were also seasons when he exclaimed, My hope hath he removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, Nineteen, ten, and 11. True, he erred in this judgment. Nevertheless, such was how he felt in that dark hour of trial. Take the case of Asaph. My sore ran in the night, and ceased not my soul, refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. Is not that an apt description of many a backslider, as he calls to mind the omniscience, the holiness, the justice of God? But did he not find relief by reminding himself of God's grace and loving kindness? No. For he went on to ask, will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clear gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Psalm 77, 7-10. to That he should speak thus was indeed his infirmity, yet it shows into what despondency a saint may fall. Consider the case of Jeremiah, said he. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Surely against me is he turned. He hath set me in dark places. He hath hedged me about, that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath fitted me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. That hath removed my soul far from peace. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Lamentations 3, 1 to 18. Is not that the language of despair? It was not only that his hope was weak and wavering, but he felt that it perished and that from before the Lord. Lower than that one cannot get. He had no expectation of deliverance. He saw no possibility of being recovered from his wretched condition. And think you, my reader, there are no Christians in such a sad plight today? If so, ask yourself, why has God placed in permanent record such groanings of his people when they occupy the dungeons of despair? The time may come when such language will exactly suit your case. And if so, you'll be very glad to hear that there is a possibility of deliverance. A door of hope opened in the valley of Achor. There can be little room for doubt that the chief reason why so many professors today see no need of pointing out that it is possible for a backslidden Christian to be, to be restored it is because of the defective teaching they sit under. They hold such light views of the sinfulness of sin. They perceive so faintly the spirituality and strictness of God's law. They have such a dim conception of his ineffable holiness that their consciences are comatose and hence blind to their own state and unaware of what would be involved in delivering them out of it. They have had, once saved, always saved. My sheep never shall never perish. Dinned into their ear so often that they take it for granted that every backslider will be restored to a matter as a matter of course, without any deep exercises of heart on their part or compliance to the requirement of what God has laid down. Yes? Yay? There are extensive circles in Christendom today where it is taught Having forgiven you all trespasses, as Colossians 2.13 means, every trespass, past, present, and future. And that so far from the Christian having to ask God for daily forgiveness, he should rather thank him for having already forgiven him. Of course, those who swallow such deadly poison need not be informed that recovery from a relapse is possible. But different far is it with one who lives in the fear of the Lord, whose conscience is tender, whose sins in the light of divine holiness. When he is overtaken by a fault, he is cut to the quick. And should he so far decline as to leave his first love, he will find a way of recovery by no means easy. (coughs) And should he continue departing from God until his case becomes such that he has a sense that he has a name to live, but it is dead, he may abandon hope entirely. When he seeks a return to the Lord, it will be a case out of the depths I have cried unto thee. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths of the heart, out of the depths of conviction, out of the depths of anguish, contrition, out of the depths of despondency and despair. In his remarkable book, on Psalm 130, John Owen, after pointing out that, quote, gracious souls after much communion with God may be brought into inextricable depths and entanglements on the account of sin, went on to define those depths as, uh, as I, as number one, loss of wanted sense of the love of God, which the soul formerly enjoyed. Two, perplexed thoughtfulness about their great and wretched unkindness towards God. Three, a revived sense of justly deserved wrath. Four, a pressing apprehension of temporal judgments. End of quote. But the eminent Puritan did not stop there. He went on to say, quote, there may be added thereunto prevalent fears for a season of being utterly rejected by God, of being found a reprobate at the last day. Jonah seems to have concluded so. This is Jonah 3, 4. Then said I, I am cast out of thy sight. I am lost forever. God will own me no more. And, he, and Heman, I am counted with them that go down into the pit, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave when thou rememberest me no more. And they are cut off from thy hand. Psalm 88, 4 and 5. This may reach the soul until the sorrows of hell encompass and lay hold upon it. Until it is the spirit of comfort, peace rest. Until it is a terror to itself and be ready to choose strangling rather than life. This may befall a gracious soul on the count of sin. But, yet because this fights directly against the life of faith, God does not, unless it be in extraordinary cases, suffer it to lie in, the, lie in this horrible pit, wherein there is no water, no refreshment. But this often falls out, that even the saints themselves are left for a season, to a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation as to the prevailing apprehension of their mind. We can bear testimony that in our extensive reading we have come across not merely a few isolated and exceptional cases of backsliding, saints who had sunk into the very depths of soul trouble, distress, and horror, but many such, and that in the course of their travels we have personally met more than one or two who were in such darkness and anguish of heart that they had no hope. And no efforts of ours could dispel their gloom. Let that serve as a solemn warning unto those who at present are enjoying the light of God's countenance. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10.12 Fall into a state of unwatchfulness and then into wretchedness. Sin is that abominable thing which God hates. Jeremiah 44, verse 4 Whether it be found in the unregenerate or the regenerate. If we trifle with temptations, then we shall be made to taste what an exceedingly bitter thing it is to depart from the living God. If we enter the paths of unrighteousness, we shall obtain personal proof that the way of the transgressors is hard. And the higher have been our privileges and attainments, the more painful will be the effects from a fall. But thank God the recovery of a backslider is possible, no matter how heinous or long protracted it was. The cases of David, of Jonah, of Peter demonstrate that. No man that has fallen from spiritual decays has any reason to say that there is no hope, provided he take the right way of recovery. If every step that is lost on the way to heaven should be irrecoverable, woe would be unto us. We should all assuredly perish. If there were no reparation, if there were no reparation of our breaches, no healing of our decays, no salvation, but for those who are always progressive in grace, if God should mark all that is done amiss, as the psalmist spake, O Lord, who should stand? Nay, if we had not recovers every day, we should go off with a perpetual backsliding. But then, as it was said, it is required that the right means of it be used and that's a quote from John Owen, by the way. What are those things? What are those means? And the very real difficulties which attend the use of them? Who have openly departed from God? Roman numeral three. It's difficulty. The reviving and restoring is needful, desirable, and possible, yet it is by no means easy. We do not mean that any problem is presented to God in connection with the recovery of one who has suffered a spiritual relapse, but that it is far from being a simple matter for a backslider to comply with his requirements in order thereto. The difficulty is at least threefold. There is a difficulty in realizing the sadness of his case, and a difficulty in putting forth a real desire for recovery, and a difficulty in meeting God's stipulations. Sin has a blinding effect. And the one more falls under its power, the less discernment he will possess. It is only in God's light that we can see light. And the further we depart from him, the more we engulf ourselves in darkness. It is only as the bitter effects of sin begin to be tasted that the erring one becomes conscious of a sorry condition. Others may perceive it, and in loving faithfulness tell him about it. But in most instances he is quite unaware of the decline, and such warnings have no weight with him. Of course, the degree of decay of his grace will determine the measure in which he and knowest not of Revelation 3.17 applies to him. But even when there be some realization that all is not well with himself, it is by no means follows that there is any real anxiety to return to his first love. To some extent, the conscience of such a one is comatose, and therefore there is little sensibility of his condition and still less horror in it. Here, too, the natural adumbrates the spiritual. Have you not met with or read of those who suffered from certain forms of sickness who lacked a desire to be healed? Certainly there are not a few such in the religious world. If the reader descends from such a statement, we ask him, Why then did the great physician of souls address himself as he did to the, to the one by the pool of Bethsaida? We are told that the man suffered from an infirmity no less than 38 years. Yet the savior asked him, Wilt thou be made whole? John 5, 6. Are you really desirous to be? The question was neither meaningless nor strange. The wretched are not always willing to be relieved. Some prefer to lie on the couch and be ministered to by friends than better themselves and perform their duties. Others become lethargic and indifferent and are, as Scripture designates him, at ease in Zion. It is all too little realized that among Christians that backsliding is a departing from God and a returning to the conditions that were in before conversion. And the further that departure is, the closer one will become to their approximation to the old manner of life. Observe the particular language used by David in his confession to God. First, he said, "Before I was afflicted, I went astray." 11967. that' saw. But later, as spiritual discernment increased following his recovery. And as he then more clearly perceived that he had been involved in his sad lapse, he declared, I have gone astray like a lost sheep, verse 176. The state of God's elect in the days of their unregeneracy, Isaiah 53, 6. True, the case of David was more extreme form of backsliding than many. Nevertheless, it is a solemn warning to all of us of what may befall if we have left our first love and returned not promptly to it. How clearly his experiences serve to illustrate the point we are seeking to set before the reader. Ponder carefully what falls to the account of David's grievous fall in 2 Samuel two, and behold the spirit of blindness and insensibility which deliberate sinning cast upon the backslidden saint. In view of 2 Samuel 12 15, it is clear that almost a whole year, possibly more, had elapsed between the time of David's fall and the Lord sending of Nathan unto him. There is not a hint that David was brokenhearted before God before those, during those months. The prophet addressed him in the form of a parable, intimating, intimation of his moral distance from God. Matthew thirteen, ten to 13 Yet if David's conscience had been active before God, he would have easily understood the purport of that parable. But sin had darkened its judgment, and he recognized not the application of it unto himself. <clears throat> in such a state of periodical deadness, Was David then in that Nathan had to interpret his parable and say, Thou art the man? Verily. He had gone away like a lost sheep. And at that time, the state of his heart differed little from the unconverted. Later, when his eyes were again to open and he was deeply convicted of his sins, he perceived that he had lapsed into a condition perilously close to the scarcely distinguishable from that of the unregenerate. For he cried out, this is Psalm 51.10, Create me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Despite the reader now grasps more easily our meaning when we speak of the difficulty of being renewed, recovered from a spiritual relapse, the difficulty of one, in that case, becoming sensible of the woeful plight and the realization that he needs delivering from it. Sin darkens the understanding and renders the heart hard or insensitive, insensible. As it is with the unregenerate sinner, so it is, so it is, become to a greater or less extent, and in extreme cases almost entirely with the backslider. What is it that is a distinguished mark of all who have never been born again? Not falling into gross and flagrant outward sin, for many of them are never guilty of that, but having the understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness, meaning in the Greek meaning hardness or insensitivity, insensibility of their heart, it is a divine diagnosis of all those who are dead in trespasses and sins. And we have but to change the alienated from the life of God to severed from communion with Him. And that solemn description accurately depicts the inward state of the backslider. Though, until God begins to recover him, he, has no more, he will no more recognize this picture than David did when Nathan drew his. It is much to be thankful for when a child of God becomes aware that he is in a spiritual decline, especially if he mourns over it. Such is rarely the case when an unregenerate professor and never so on account of inward decay. The person who has always been weak and sickly knows not what it is to lack strength and health and strength, for he never had experience of it. Still, less does one in the cemetery realize that he is totally devoid of life, but let one of a robust constitution be laid upon a bed of sickness, and he is very definitely aware of the great change that has come over him. The reason why so many professing Christians are not troubled over any spiritual decline is because they never had any spiritual health, and therefore it would be a waste of time to treat with such about a, to treat with such about a recovery. If you should speak of their departure from God and loss of communion with Him, you would seem to them as Lot did to his sons-in-law when he espoculated to them as one that mocked or made sport with them, Genesis nineteen fourteen, and would be laughed at for your pains. Never having experienced any love of Christ, it would be useless to urge them to return to the same. It is much to be feared. That is why these chapters on spiritual decline and recovery, so much needed today by many of the saints, will be almost meaningless and certainly wear- wearisome to some of our readers. The real Christian will not dismiss them lightly, but rather will seek to faithfully measure himself by them, searching himself before God, and being at some pains to ascertain the condition of his soul. But those who are content with a mere outward profession will see little in them, either of importance or interest, such as perceive neither evil nor danger in their present condition, supposing that all is well with them, because it is good as it ever was, are the ones who most need to examine themselves as to whether the root of the matter was ever in them. And even those who have experienced something of the power of godliness but through carelessness are no longer making conscience of seeking to please the Lord in all things as they once did, are asleep in carnal security, which is hardly distinguishable from being dead in sin, if they be not exercised over their decline and anxious to be recovered from it. The vast majority in Christendom today will acknowledge nothing as to a decay in themselves. Rather, they are like Ephraim. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. And hence it is added, They do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Hosea 7, 9, and 10. How is it with you, dear friend? Have you been able to maintain spiritual peace and joy in your soul? For those are the inseparable fruits of a life of faith and a humble and daily walking with God. We mean not the fancies and imaginations of them, but the substance and reality. <coughs> that peace which passeth all understanding, and which keeps or garrisons the heart and mind, That joy which delights itself in the Lord and is full of glory. 1 Peter 1.8 Does the peace stay with your mind on God under trials and tribulations or is it found wanting in the hour of testing? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Nehemiah 8.10 So that it moves you to perform the duties of obedience with alchricity and pleasure or is it merely a fickle emotion which exists no steady power for good on your life? If you once enjoyed such peace and joy, but do so no longer, then you have suffered a spiritual decline. Spirituality of mind and the exercise of a tender conscience in the performance of spiritual duties is another mark of health. For it is in those things grace is most requisite and operative. They are the very light of the new man and the animating principle of all spiritual actions, and without which all our performances are but dead works. Our worship of God is but an empty show, a horrible mockery, if we draw nigh to him with our lips and our hearts are far from him. But to keep the mind to a spiritual frame in our approaches unto the Lord, to bless him with all that is within us, to keep our grace and vigorous exercise in all holy duties, is only possible while the health of the soul would be maintained. Slothfulness, formality, weariness of the flesh, the businesses and cares of the life, the seductions and opposition of Satan, all contend against the Christian to frustrate him. At that point, if the grace of God is sufficient, if it be duly sought, if you constantly stir up yourselves to take hold of God, Isaiah 64, 7, if you habitually set your face unto the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication, Daniel 9, 3, that is evidence of spiritual health. But if the contrary be now your experience, then you have suffered a spiritual decline. If you realize that things are not flourishing with you now, either inwardly or outwardly, as they were formerly, that is a hopeful sign yet it must not be rested in. Suffer not your heart one moment to be content with your present frame. For if you do, there will be, there will follow a more marked deterioration. Satan will tell you that there is nothing yet for you to be worried about. That there will be time enough for you that when you fall into some outward sin, uh, but he lies. Scripture says to him, that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. James 4.17 James 4.17 You know it is good that you should return unto God and to confess to him your failures, even though those failures be more of an omission than commission. But if you refuse to, that in itself is sin. To be conscious of decline is the first step toward recovery, yet not sufficient of itself. There must also be a laying of it to heart, a sensibility of the evil of it, a mourning over it, for godly sorrow worketh repentance, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Excuse me. Yet neither is that sufficient. Godly sorrow is not repentance itself, but only a means thereto. Moaning and groaning over our complaints, spiritual and natural, may relieve our feelings, but they will effect no cure. Sensible of our decays, exercised at heart over them, we must now comply with God's requirements for recovery, if healing is to be obtained. And hereto we shall experience difficulty." There are those who persuade themselves that it would be no hard matter to recover themselves from a state of backsliding, that they could easily do so if they, if, if the occasion required. But that is an entirely false notion. There are many who think themselves, who think getting saved is one of the simplest things imaginable, and they are woefully mistaken. Now he's talking about salvation in the broad sense here, not justification. Justification is very simple. He's talking about salvation which includes sanctification and perseverance. If nothing more required from the sinner than an intellectual assent to the gospel, no miracle of grace would be required in, or, in order to induce that. But before a stout-hearted rebel against God will throw down the weapons of his warfare, before one who is in love with sin can hate it, before one who lived only to please self will deny it, the exceeding greatness of God's power must work upon him, Ephesians 1.19. And so it is in restoration. It is nothing more with required from the backslider than a lip acknowledgement of his offenses and a return to external duties. No great difficulty would be experienced, but to meet the requirements of God for recovery in a very different manner. Rightly did John Owen affirm, quote, recovery from backsliding is the hardest task in the Christian religion, one which few make either comfortable or honorable work of. End of quote. Yes, it is a task entirely beyond the capacities of any Christian. We cannot recover ourselves, and none but the great physician can relieve our backslidings. It is the operations of the Spirit of Christ, which is its effectual cause of the revival under decays of grace. It is not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God that any wanderer is brought back. It is God who makes us sensible of our deadness, and who causes us to make application to him. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Psalm 85, 6. And when that request has been granted, each of them will own David, will own with David. He restoreth my soul, Psalm twenty-three, three. Nevertheless, in this too, our responsibility has to be discharged. For at no point does God treat with us as though we were mere automatons. Automatons. There are certain duties He sets before us in this connection, specific requirements which He makes upon us. And until we definitely and earnestly set ourselves to the performance of, of the same, we have no warrant to look for deliverance. Though the Holy Spirit alone can affect the much desired change in the withered and barren believer, yet God hath appointed certain means that are subservient to that end. And if we neglect those means, then we have, have no, then no wonder we have reason to complain and cry out, My leanness, my leanness, woe unto me! The treacherous stealers have dealt treacherously. Yea, the treacherous stealers have dealt very treacherously, Isaiah 24, 16. And therefore, an alteration for the better cannot reasonably be expected. If we entertain hope of any improvement in our condition, while we neglect the appointed means, our expectations will certainly issue in a sorrowful disappointment. Unless we be thoroughly persuaded of that, we will remain inert. While we cherish the idea that we can do nothing and must fatalistically wait a sovereign reviving for God, we shall go on waiting. But if we realize that God requires of us, it will serve to deepen our desires after reviving and stimulate us into a compliance with those things which we must do if he will grant to us showers of refreshment and a strengthening of those things in us which are ready to die. There has to be an asking, a seeking, a knocking if the door of deliverance is to be opened unto us." It is not an Arminian, but a high Calvinist, John Bryan, whose works receive a most favorable review in the Gospel Standard of October, 1852, who wrote to God's people, two centuries ago, quote, "Much labor and deliverance are required unto this. It is not complaining of sickly condition of our souls which will affect this cure. Confession of our follies that brought us diseases upon us, brought the diseases upon us though repeated ever so often, will avail nothing towards the removal of them." If we intend the recovery of our former health and vigor, we must act as well as complain and groan. We must keep at a distance from those persons and those snares which have drawn us into instances of folly, which have occasioned that disorder which is the matter of our complaint. Without this, we may multiply acknowledgments and expressions of concern for our past miscarriage to no purpose at all. It is a very great folly to think of regaining our former strength so long as we embrace and dally with those objects through whose evil influence we have fallen into a spiritual decline. It is not our bewailing, the pernicious effects of sin that will prevent us, its baneful influence upon us for a time to come, except as we are determined to forsake that to which is owing our melancholy disorder. And I'm going to stop there. Uh, otherwise, I want to... I'll stop there, so I have enough for next time. Um, wonderful, absolutely wonderful stuff. Uh you're not going to find better teachings on sanctification than this. So, I, I I really want you to focus on this and meditate on this and then put it into practice. Put it into practice. Don't enter into situations of temptation. Pray for deliverance. Confess your sins daily. Pray for God's deliverance. Hang out with godly people. Go to churches with solid preaching. Attend the means of grace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for our beloved Brother Pink ingrain these things into our heart when we're tempted to sin, bring them to mind. For your scripture is perfect, restoring the soul. We thank you so much for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.